If you try to pull in a direction that everybody else in the school is going, I don't care how rah-rah you are or how well you say you do this and I'm a culture guy. I've seen plenty of guys who connected really well in one environment, tried to replicate that to another school and epically failed and was fired within two years because they did something they wanted, because they had to do No, no, no. It's gotta be, you gotta be way more skilled. You gotta be better. You gotta be able to figure out what the school is and how to build off of whatever's been happening. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Before going into the episode, I want to thank our sponsors real quick. Starting with the DOYC, the Department of Young Strength Coaches. This group is designed for young strength coaches wanting to go into the field of strength and conditioning. So whether that's CSCS prep, GA, or internship opportunities, or even live discussions, they are a resource for young coaches to take advantage of. I will put the link to their Discord in the description of this episode. Also, Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. Their powerhouse platform provides coaches with an elevated experience when it comes to program development, data tracking, and staying connected with athletes and clients. Team Builder is full of tools that coaches need, like multiple max training methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting, to name a few. Coaches will also have access to consultations with Team Builder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze the data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with the promo code CONJUGATE to receive a 30-day free trial as well as a 52-week football workout program. So please be sure to like, rate, subscribe, and even share this podcast with a fellow coach or a fellow in iron. I'm your host, John Mark Raspberry, current strength coach over at Bolivar Central High School. So I'm here today with a longtime Auburn fan, mm-hmm. uh, Twitter famous coach that you may know him. Um, he's got his own software, strength sheets, uh, Mr. Cody Hughes. So I'm going to let him introduce himself over here. Oh, thanks for having me on, John Mark. Uh, Twitter famous, I don't know about all that, but uh, I hope that I'm not – that's not the only thing I'm known for is being some Twitter coach. But uh, um, it's an honor to come on, man. You're doing a good job. Glad you're you're really putting out for the industry and uh, being a valuable resource and trying to provide value, which is huge. So it's an honor. Like I said, my name is Cody Hughes. I'm originally from Phoenix City, Alabama. Um, I was a college baseball player. played Division II about college baseball. Didn't have a strength coach. Loved the weight room. Wanted to be a strength coach. Um, realized the path of what it would be to be a college strength coach. Became an intern in the SEC with Mississippi State football. Uh, was there for a summer and then became a graduate assistant at Division II, University of West Alabama, where I was a GA, but a full-time assistant, essentially running four sports, helping with football. There's only two of us on staff. Uh, after that, I got married and we moved to Louisiana. I was I was at West Alabama for a year and then went to McNeese State University, which is a division one in southwest Louisiana in the Southland Conference, where I was the associate director of head, uh, strength conditioning, um, helping with the staff, managing interns, um, where I was assisting with football, also head baseball, head softball, head volleyball, um, kind of was the shoulder specialist on our staff that worked with overhead athletes and then worked with our quarterbacks and receivers on the football staff, on the with the football roster. And I was there for a year and our head guy left. I got an opportunity to go to Colorado, do some private sector work. And I was in Colorado for six months. And that whole thing happened from August, oh no, May, 2016 to January, 2018, like really fast. Like I went boom, 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 boom. Right. And got the call from Madison Academy here in Huntsville, Alabama, which is a private school where I am the director of human performance, which is technically my title where I'm just a strength coach. Uh, head strength coach here at Madison Academy. I'm in my fifth school year. 
and um, been, been loving it ever since, man. So here I am. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, when I came down to visit you down back, what what was it, last fall break back in October? Yep. I mean, we kind of realized uh, we have a sort of connection through um, who was the head intern at Mississippi State and my former collegiate football teammate, Mr. Chris Friend. I mean, now he's yeah. over at, now he's over at Cincinnati. I think he's the associate director of strength conditioning for football performance. Yeah, that's him. So, so that was that was kind of a cool realization. I was like, kind of a small world. Um, yeah, dude. Know. Strength the strength world small. I mean, Chris is phenomenal. You know, he really waited his time. I'm really proud of him. I hope he listens to this because he uh, he went to Ohio State as an intern to hopefully make something shake. And he's always had a, a tremendous work ethic. He's a great coach. <laughs> And got an opportunity to get on the Olympic staff. And then, obviously, he made a huge impression on Coach Nico and uh, took him with him to Cincinnati, and here he is. So, really proud of you, Chris, if you're listening to this, man. That's that's awesome. I know. He's big time, man. Even that Eureka College, he was still big time. Even that Washington High School, you know, he was a, he was a big time player. Now he's now he's making big time over in the yep. collegiate area. All right, so let's get into the first segment. So, try face it, tricks and tips. This is where you'll give us a trick or tip that you discovered in your own experience as a coach. So this could be in the sheets, the weight room, field, court, whatever. Okay. Uh, I'll start off with this. I think workflow is huge and weight room flow and logistics is big. You know, if you pigeonhole yourself in the weight room with how you structure your system, you can pigeonhole yourself if you don't watch out. Right. A lot of times if you, you don't have a whole lot of options sometimes because the facility is very restrictive right? You don't have as many racks as you can have stations. You got to work outside. You got to go in circuits. I get it. That happens. But within that, can you create some fluidity? So if you need to make a change, not to where like I go from station one to four and you end up doing like your power work, whether it's a trap bar jump, a clean, a plyometric and you're fatigued and you're doing it at the end of your workout. I wouldn't say that that structure would be ideal, right? So I would make sure that I'm always thinking of logistics and flow and trying to line those up with exercise selection like with our principles and how we're training in the first place, if that makes sense. That would be the first tip because everybody's place is different. Everybody's flow is different. And a lot of times you have to match your flow to your resources and to your constraint of your facility. So that's number one is when it comes to programming, try not to program too fast. If you don't understand your constraints, you know, that's number one and make sure you can be effective within those constraints um, to find a way to deliver your program at a high level. You know, that's another thing is like, if you guess and you're not precise, especially with load parameters, periodization, set and rep schemes, how to pick a weight with what strategy you're using, you've got to give it to your kids because they're not going to be able to decide. I see way too often in weight rooms where it's just like three sets of eight, right? Five sets of five, you know, whatever it is, six by three. And there's not really, it's just like pick a weight and get after it and let's strain. Yeah, but there's not really any specific loading parameters to help our kids actually pick the right weights in the first place of what adaptation we're seeking. So whether that's software, whether that's your sponsor team builder, whether that's my strength sheets, whether it's your own sheets, whether it's, I mean, I don't care if it's, you just have like a percentage chart on your rack, it still gets the job done. I would just look into being able to have a system for picking loads so that you can properly progressively overload. And from there you can actually quantify your results. Yeah, absolutely. So let me get into that kind of um, discussion here. So 
What would you say for someone that's, let's just say a sport coach, because that's still a reality right now. Uh, what what you say? What what would you recommend to like a sport coach that's like I have no idea about strength and conditioning. They threw this on me, and we're getting to the off season, especially football. How do I build a system, or where can I go get a system? Well, a lot of coaches that have this responsibility already have the first thing they have is their own experience, right? So that's it. If they don't understand what their experience was, call up the coach that you trained under and try to pick their brain and try to understand why. Right. Okay. I saw results doing this and you just assume that that's good for everybody. That's not the case. Right. I mean, like you have a prescription of medicine for a diabetic. That doesn't mean I need to take insulin. Right. It's not the same thing. If I need to call up and try to see, cause maybe that coach had a really good why and maybe that, that doesn't fit your system. So if you have your experience, go, go pick the brains of the coaches you train under. Second, man, we're on social media, man. Like there is more information than you could absolutely even think of or fathom go find a coach that you admire especially if there's coaches that have the responsibility of the weight room and you're not on social media looking for tips tricks edges different strategies why do you even have that responsibility in the first place that's number one you'd always continue in education is the number one thing that you need to be searching for second if you find somebody reach out send a dm you know reach out and talk i mean you came down and hung out with me for a whole day why? Because you sent me a DM. Hey, man, love to come come shout at you. Come on, man. You're just three hours away. Let's do it. Um, that's how it happens. Reach out, right? And try to try to find some books and some other information that'll help you and always try to look at it through a lens of your constraint and the program that you're working with. Guys, I hate to say it, but one thing I'm going to discourage you from doing, if you're a sport coach and you're listening to this, is do not just grab University of Alabama or the Seattle Seahawks or Nebraska Cornhuskers strength program from the college days in the nineties, two thousands, fourth quarter program, whatever, because you're not dealing with the same athletes. They don't have the same skill sets. They don't have the same capacities. It's not fair. You wouldn't run the same playbook as them either on Friday nights because you don't have the Jimmy and Joe's. So why would the workout program look the same? The results aren't going to be the same either. So you've got to figure out how to extrapolate. Maybe it's a good template. Maybe you got the workbook. Somebody sent it to you. That's cool but always asking questions of how does this apply to us and apply what's good and discard what's not. And then as you continue to get reps in those systems, the first thing you need to do, you need to replicate before you iterate. So what that means is like when I was a GA, just coming off an internship in the SEC, I replicated before I iterated. All I knew was what we did in SEC football for summer training. So I took probably 75% of what we did there and iterated and then replicated it to my teams at West Alabama. And the more reps I got and the more I used my coach's eye, the more I observed, the more changes I can make on the fly and then develop my own system with pure reps. Volume is the kill is the winner when it comes to that. So replicate before you iterate, make observations and change on the fly. And eventually you'll have your own system. It's really interesting that you bring up that point about don't just be grabbing the university of Alabama, CLC Hawks, you know, division one pro level, um, you know, strength conditioning plans, workouts, whatever you want to call it, training plans. Um, because you're the third person in a row that has talked about that on this podcast. Tobias has talked about it. Kyle has talked about it. I think Miss Kylie Feldman talked about it. And now you have talked about it. I mean, this is something that I see even at the high school level. And I'm sure if you've seen it too, to where, you know, football coach is like, well, we're going to grab – University of Alabama's football program, and we, we're just going to get to work. It's like, yeah, but this is a 
high school team full of 15 to 18 year olds, not D1 scholarship athletes that their livelihood is going to the NFL. Like most of these kids are probably not going to go to the NFL. Right. Well, you know, like I, I don't blame the sport coach. They don't know what they don't know. You know what I'm saying? Cause they've got this program. Obviously if, if they're using it, it has to be well-written out. It has to have some type of value. So they're just going to take it and use it. And sometimes they don't think about these things that we're mentioning. That's why we're trying to always talk about them all the time. And at the end of the day, like we're not beating a dead horse. Like that horse is far from dead. Like we've got to keep talking about it because I want to challenge coaches to think because I don't think strength and conditioning at the high school level has to be that complex. It doesn't have to be. It has to be executed at a high level and coaching is not easy, but that doesn't mean that the programming has to be complex. You know what I'm saying? So just because you have that booklet, we need to be able to decipher it and try to see where it fits. And I think a lot of good coaches do that. Man, I know so many, we, we demonize the sport coach in the weight room sometimes, but man, let me tell you this. There are some sport coaches out there that are 10 times the strength coach that some people have with 40 different letters behind their name with asterisks and denominate, you know, all the things with distinct distinctions, whatever it is, they can coach, man. Like I, they can absolutely coach. Like literally I I know that my high old high school baseball coach ran the weight room for his program where he's at in high school. And he knows more. He's got Zach Dakin's book on his desk. He's got, you know, all kind of resources because he cared. And the dude can flat out coach and teach. Like he is a master teacher. So I would put him, I was like, yo, he's a better strength coach than most guys I know that are in college right now, you know, who are working with absolute freak athletes and their crappy coaching is being hidden by great athletes. Even though they win, you get this cool logo. Like you get a lot of that bad coaching is masked, you know? So like, I know a lot of sport coaches that do it at a high level. So I want to make sure that that's, that's said on here. On the opposite end too, I mean, when I was at D3 level, I mean, there's coach, there was college kids that were coaching. I mean, part of their curriculum in exercise science is that you have to do internships. And that we, I mean, I was blessed enough to do an internship with my alma mater. I mean, there was coaching, I mean, college students that were coaches and they were, they were responsible for volleyball and basketball and baseball. I mean, they could coach circles around some coaches that I know that had the CFCS, CFSC, you know, the RSCC, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it, that's just the reality of things. Yeah, those small colleges, they 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 can only survive off of those type of internships and things. So you're you're gonna see that a lot, you know, like a, a college senior that's running groups because they just don't have the manpower. But the reps that 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 if they want to be a strength coach one day and the reps that they're getting at that point in their career will pay dividends down the road. Cause like a lot of people do it wrong. Same thing in like sales. Like you think you have to have everything perfect and you have to have websites set up and do all this stuff. No, you need to start selling right now. Right. You need a payment processor. You need a really good product and you need to learn how to sell. Right. It's the same thing with us. Like if you want to coach, you need to start coaching. Quit waiting. You don't need this, that, and another. You don't need your CSCS before you can coach. You can get on the floor, start coaching somebody, find somewhere to coach one way or another. And you can figure out the rest along the way. Um, that's that's. I feel like it's a lot that young coaches get backwards. They think they got to have all these paper stuff all figured out before they start coaching. When to me, that is the number one skill that you have to have to have impact. Like you can have knowledge. You can talk about setting rep schemes. You can you can read the essentials book front and back. You can have high test scores, high GPA, whatever that is. But if you get on that floor and manage a group and you freak out, you are useless. And that's just the truth. That is the hard truth. And 
I think that's something that young coaches need to be exposed to, whether that's inter sorry, internship at you know a high level school, not even high level, just even at your alma mater, or go to your old high school and just start coaching. Just go at it, man. I mean, you can learn the X's and O's, but coaching is a key aspect into that. So you can have all this knowledge, this French contrast and conjugate and all this stuff, but if you can't coach, you can't implement it. I mean, not really worth anything. So I agree. Wanted, wanted to highlight that with you as well. All right, so our heavy training topic we got for today, we kind of discussed a little bit about it. Um, data tracking, sports science, talk about your straight sheets, uh, Google Sheets, and um, obviously the culture talk that we had back in the fall. So let's, sure. start with, let's start with data tracking because when I came to Mads Academy, that was the first thing you showed me. You said, this is all that we take in, you know, A, B, C, D thing. I was, and it was, I'll be honest with you, it was a lot. Because I was, I didn't realize how much data y'all actually took in. So, walk us through your data tracking process at Mads Academy. Sure, and I, I got to talk about the journey too, because this is year five, John Mark. Like, this did not happen overnight. I didn't walk out into this job and know that. Like, this it took me. I had to learn these things. I had to see other things and and add things over time. That's the first thing. One, understand this: solutions are built out of desperation right? Solutions are built out of need, right? So when you need something enough, a solution is usually created. So the biggest thing with me is I, I'm the same way as a human. I hate not knowing why. My wife calls me Mr. Googler because I Google anything I hear that I don't understand. And I hate not understanding. It makes me feel stupid. So I don't like it. My ego doesn't like it. So trying to figure out something and figuring out problems is something I really enjoy. So Got to MA, and I've always heard about data tracking. And to be honest, like all my for, my jobs before, when I was at the college level, I left so fast. I didn't ha- I didn't even have a chance to even make an evaluation on myself if anything I was doing worked. I had no idea, and I knew I was going to be here for a while. And I had to, you know, I was running my own show, man. It was just me, and I was like, well, I've got to prove to myself that I'm worth my salt. And just started to grow and learn, like, I got to start tracking stuff. Like, it's got to be bigger than just doing a one rep max. It's got to be bigger than just, you know, jumping on a Vertec twice a year, you know, running a 40, right? So it just slowly grew. And I started coming up with solutions because I really didn't understand doing a one rep max training for 12 weeks and then doing another one rep max. And that was your progress evaluation just logically didn't make sense to me. Like I'm going to put all my apples into a basket of how two days happened in a 12 week span. I didn't think that's fair. I was like, there's got to be a lot more that happens between. And then the mechanical side of, well, how do I do this without spending hours on hours on hours, you know, pen and paper or entering data or doing all this stuff. Guys, I'm a married, right? I have a wife. I had been at the college level where I was working hundred hour weeks and I wanted to be home. My wife wanted me home and I wasn't about to spend hours and hours and hours. So I was like, well, how can I still get the job done at a really high level and not spend so much time? Right. To me, that's a skill. And I'll never forget when my son was born in 2019, I got to be home for uh, about 10 straight weeks in the summer. Um, I had an intern that was really good. that could run the whole program. I programmed from home remotely. He ran it and implemented it. And I was at home for, you know, my son is small. All they do is sleep, eat, and poop all day. So I had a lot of downtime. And I just started getting on YouTube and and trying to answer those questions of how do I collect more data? 
How do I deliver my programs at a higher level? And that's how I came upon this journey of creating strength sheets, right? And for those of you that don't know strength sheets, you can go to strengthsheets.com. It's my program delivery skill um, product that helps people with not a lot of spreadsheet skill that can actually deliver very detailed workouts, very seamlessly. Um, shameless plug there. Uh, but so, but I use an, an iteration of that in our own program. And now let's talk about all the things I actually do collect. It started off with simply kids putting in the numbers they were doing every day. Like I was like, all right, I've got a form. I've got it to a spreadsheet. All right. And now I can start looking at it. Okay. So what are we doing every week? My first actual journey was estimating what a training max was off of performance. So like, okay, this week we did 275 for three, you know, have that inputted to a spreadsheet to where I had a formula that would estimate one RM, you know, like Boyd's formula or the Epley formula or whatever um, that would go, all right, 275 times three comes out to, you know, 315, 305, whatever. And I would track estimated maxes over time with an automatic formula. That was step one. And I was like, oh, this is good. So now I can kind of see the journey and where it's going. But then I was like, wait, that's not the whole issue. Like I was I'm, one big thing about my process. I'm always trying to poke holes in things, right? I'm like, my process is not worth anything if I'm not constantly trying to poke holes in it and disprove it. And because that's the only way it gets better is when you, you find weak points and weak links, you strengthen them, right? So I'm like, doesn't tell the whole story. Cause what if, what if that 275 for three on a trap bar was sub max? Right. Because we're working on technique or it's early in the phase or, you know, we're not ready to perform yet in that part of what we're doing. So like, oh, the training max performance went down that week. No, the, the actual programming itself was not meant for that. So I was like, oh, well, OK, well, what else can I do? You know, just thinking critically, just thinking for myself. And I was like, well, what if we estimated reps in reserve? And that's when I got real high on my high horse in reps in reserve. And you probably see a lot of presentations from two and three years ago. You know, there's one on YouTube now of a whole hour and a half presentation I did during COVID for Joey Garaccio's uh, little clinic he did online with Zoom, where I go heavy into reps and reserve. I'll, and I, I'll say to this day that with high school kids, reps and reserve is pretty worthless. <laughs> like, because I went through it. I did it. Like, I went through that process myself and tried to figure it out. Same concept with the Olympic lifts, which we'll get to later. But so, like, all right, if I did 225, or let's use the same example, 275 for three. How many reps in the tank did you have left? All right, two. All right, so then I set up my formula to where it would add the reps completed and reps left in the tank of projected reps and then created the tracking formula. You track, you, you follow me? Okay, so, and I was like, okay, that's even a little, a little bit better, right? So I keep working through it, working through it and got to the point where I was like, okay, I've got the strength side figured out. And we were, we were running sprints at that time, but it was all hand, it was hand timed. I didn't have a laser system and have any of that. I was just trying to sprint. Wasn't recording anything. Just doing that. Eventually I got my hands on a, on a laser timing system where I was just manually typing things in, just collecting the data, setting PRs, record, rank, publish, all the things that we love to do and create intent. Um, and dug deeper into those things. Then I got a jump mat, started doing verticals, and it just compounded on each other over time, man, to the point to where now, I mean, we've got we've got a system now to where we can track, we track body comp. So we track muscle mass and body fat percentage through a medical grade, uh, body composition, bioelectrical impedance scale. So we do that. We track vertical jumps with a jump mat. 
and currently trialing force plates to where we get actual vertical net impulse momentum. That's what I'm trying to move to next. If I can justify that purchase, go away from a jump mat and get legit force plate numbers, uh, sprint times, right. And then off sprint times, you can get momentum numbers, vertical jumps. You can also get power index numbers, collecting body weights with a scale and a form and being able to set up a formula, set up a dashboard where it's completely passive and where all coaches can see it. And then collecting the strength, kind of the strength journey that stayed the same. I don't use reps in reserve anymore, but I use more of a lift history strategy where our kids know what our strategy is. Like, are we going up in tempo or are we going up in intensity? Are we staying the same and going up in reps? There's a few ways that we can change and progressively overload, which will be involved in my next book coming out where I teach that. But that's where I I'm looking at now where our kids know what they did previously. They know the strategy and then they can, that we can actually select the weights for them a little more precise. And from that, then we also, I invested in a G strength from Exergo. That's a, a load cell. Cause I wanted to do isometric mid thigh pull to actually see force, force capacities and capabilities. Um, started doing that. And then I got the force plate, started doing IMTP uh, isometric mid thigh pull on the force plates. It's even more accurate. And we're just in the middle of doing all those things, man. And now we've got catapult, we've got GPS to where we can start collecting. We're just in a data collection time where we don't, we don't like to make assumptions here. You know, you say sports science, like I don't even, I don't even consider myself sports science, man. I'm just a data manager. I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what sports science is. I don't have a PhD. I've never been in real research. I don't know how to do real true stats. I don't use SPSS. I use Excel. I'm just a Google sheets guy that likes numbers. And now we're just collecting that GPS data with top speed deceleration. And we're just going to see what happens and not make any assumptions whatsoever. And that's what I try to do is I try to collect the numbers because the more volume of numbers you have, you can see more patterns. If you have a really small sample size and then make an assumption off that, that's dangerous. You can't make assumption off, you know, a couple of weeks. That's why when you read a research study and it was, well, this research study was done in a four week pattern with 13 college age guys who have never worked out before a training age from zero to one years. And they saw massive improvement in quad size from a knee extension, you know, and then you take that and go, well, the, the most progress anybody's ever seen in research from knee extension. You, you, you don't know how to read research. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like that was a really small sample size and under untrained individuals, it's a lot more variables there. So I'm always trying to look at every variable possible and poke holes in everything before I even make an assumption. And that's the same process that happened with Olympic lifting and cleans. People think that I just like decided, eh, I don't want to do cleans anymore. Like, no, man, I went through it for three years before I ever thought about it. Like, and I'll just question, 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 work, work, work. And eventually came upon that answer. It didn't just happen overnight. That's whenever I have real strong opinions is because I have real strong evidence. That's the thing. Like, I'm not just going to say it because I read it in Mike Boyle's book. I'm not going to say it because somebody else is doing it. I'm going to say it because I have evidence in my practice. And then I, I have strong feelings about it. And people get pissed off about that. And that's okay. Because they're in different environments and they see different things. And that's okay, too. Because that's totally normal. You know what I'm saying? So when it comes to data tracking, that was a really long-winded answer, by the way. Uh, but that's right now, that's kind of where we're sitting. Right? Force plates, sprint times strength journeys, you know, seeing, seeing where we're at, ensuring progressive overload, vertical jumps, and now GPS data. That's awesome, man. And that was awesome. Uh, you know, get to see it firsthand, see it all played out when I came to visit you. Um, kind of backtracking a little bit. So 
let's talk about, um, let's just say, new strain code walks in the building, right? They want to input their system. What do you recommend that they take a look at? I know that you just described kind of what you take a look at, right, with the vert job, the body comp, and things of that nature. So let's just say a coach year one, right? They walk into a building. What are the first things, or I guess the first steps into data tracking for their teams and their program? Okay, so you're saying, let me clarify this. This is a new strength coach coming into a new school or a new program or a new organization. Correct. And the first thing they would look at, is that what you're saying? First thing they would look at, uh, yeah, first thing they would look at. Let's go there. Specifically data, is that what you're saying? Okay. Well, number one's attendance. <laughs> that's what I would say. Uh, who's showing up? Um, that's who's being consistent in their attendance. Cause you, I don't care what data points you have. You can say, well, guys aren't showing up, you know, and that's a culture issue. So that would be number one. Um, number two, depending on the resources that you have, right. Do you have some type of timing system, right? You can do vertical jumps cheap. If you want, you just need some chalk and some tape. You can do that. You don't have to have all these fancy toys. Um, try to do that if you can. You know, if you have a Vertec hand handy, do that too. But if you have a wall, a tape, and some chalk, you can do it just fine. Or tape itself. So yeah, I would do vertical jumps if I could. Broad jump's an easy one. All you need is a tape measure. I would do broad jump for some power. You know, even if I didn't have vert, I'd do broad. Um, and, you know, if I somehow can times, if I had to do hand times to try to get some speed work in or some accelerations, probably do zero to 20 where I would start. And just start collecting it and see what happens. That's that's what I would do, you know, and see where it goes. I, it's, I wouldn't even worry about a 1RM. I'd just start training, teaching, training, teaching, training, driving competence, driving capacity, and just worried about progressive overload, not worried about 1RMs. That's what I would start with. And you mentioned something pretty important, too, and something that we talked about, too, attendance. So, um, obviously, that's kind of – I wouldn't say it's a, it's a data point or anything sure like that, but – you did mention when I was over there saying that you do like a commitment score for your athletes. Yep. Um, elaborate on that because that, I think that's something that people will get a lot of value out of. Right. Well, I called it commitment score, but I've changed it to consistency score because I felt like commitment was not fair because things do come up. Consistent of training, consistency of training to me was more important because like people like, what if I had a kid miss a lift because they traveled for a playoff game? That's, that's not a commitment issue, right? So I, I changed the wording to consistency. So basically every day, if you're on time, you're dressed right, your effort's good, you complete the workout with enthusiasm, you get a one. You did what you were supposed to do. If you weren't here, you get a zero, right? Zero out of zero, not zero out of one. So like it, 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 you just didn't get a chance to train that day. Like you had less opportunities to train, okay? If you were late, if you missed – you know, if, if, if you didn't dress out or you chose to opt out of the workout, it's a minus one. Okay. And you get a 0.5, you get a half a point if you miss half of the workout, but you made a, like, for some reason you're late, you had a teacher call you out, you know, you were there for half the workout and then checked out. You get 0.5 because you made an effort, you did the best you could, right? You came in there and you found a way to, to train. So what that does, and then you just divide points earned by points possible. And basically, it's going to give you a percentage of when you had the chance to train, what did that look like? What did that consistency look like? And, you know, you got kids that are constantly having to get pulled out of class for academic issues. They have a low consistency score. Like, hey, he didn't train very often because grades aren't right. We can talk about that. If, you know, they constantly got ortho, you know, orthodontist or dentist appointments or doctor's appointments and things are happening, like, 
their results that we have are not there because their training opportunities are 25% of the average. They weren't here. Can't get better if you're not here. Are there good reasons for you not being here? Yes, that is fine. No problem. But your consistency score is not going to be high. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. That doesn't mean that you're a bad kid. That doesn't mean you have bad character. It just simply means you didn't train that much. Simple, right? So that score run alongside with all the other data points tells a story. And it more importantly tells a story to the kid. It tells the story to the parent. It tells the story to the administrators. And it tells a story to the head coaches. And that right there, that circle of influence, we're all on the same page. We got a real shot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and we talked about this a lot too, was it kind of creates what's called a social pressure, right? You're calling out, well, not really calling out, but if everyone's doing the right thing and you, you have that one kid that's not in line, I guess is the best way to put it. I mean, it's going to be evident and, you know, it almost singles them out because everyone's doing what they're supposed to, except for this one kid this one athlete i mean that's something that you brought up to me when uh we started talking and uh talking about culture so let's kind of dive into that a little bit so culture wise and this is something that um me and you have personal experience talking about well came down to madison i mean when you first came down to madison how did you establish the culture that you wanted and i think that's that's kind of a big buzzword that's around strength conditioning right now culture you know, this is our culture guy. You know, strength conditioning is the culture of our school. I mean, how did you develop that at Mass Academy? Well, I'll tell you this. Calling somebody the culture guy is a red flag of not having a good culture. I'll just say, I'll just tell you that because the strength coach only has so much influence and power. It's completely capped off by what the head coaches and administrators allow and support. That's number one. They pull the levers. The, where I'm at at Madison Academy, they give me that opportunity. So it's not just me. I didn't come to Madison Academy. This was the best thing I did, John Mark, is the, I think the worst thing you can do is coming in with the culture I want. It ain't got nothing to do with me. Nothing. It's about building the culture that fits the best for the school because every school environment is different. And you have people with different backgrounds, different, you know, administration ideologies, strategies, outlooks, vision. You've got to put your, like, you've got to be a thermostat, man, or you got to be a thermometer. For, you got to be able to dip your thermometer dipstick in every area and understand and get an awareness. I got to know where I'm at. It's like a GPS. I got to be able to find my location first. All right. And then I need to know what my available routes to my destination are. And then what are my constraints, you know, and then getting connected with parents, the kids, coaches, the administration. If you can do all those things with parents really being last, but mostly administration, head coaches, kids. And then, and only then can you get anything moving in the direction because if you try to pull in a direction that everybody else in the school is going, I don't care how rah-rah you are or how well you say you do this and I'm a culture guy. I've seen plenty of guys who connected really well in one environment, tried to replicate that to another school and epically failed and were, was fired within two years. Because they did something they wanted. Because they had a no, no, no. It's got to be. You got to be way more skilled than that. You got to be better than that. You got to be able to figure out what the school is and how to build off of whatever's been happening. Because whatever's happening at that school is bigger than us. It's so much bigger. I just want to be able to add to that, right? And the longer you're there, 
then you can kind of start building it towards what you want. You know what I'm saying? Or what you want becomes what the school can achieve. I think that's a better way to put it. It can't just be about, well, I want this, this, and that. (laughs) That ain't going to happen. You know, and sometimes you have to realize that maybe it's just not a good fit and somewhere else is is where you're a better fit. I just happened to find a place where I was an excellent fit. So it, it ain't just about me, you know, when it comes to culture, right? And the first thing you do when you arrive on campus is just make sure your your impression to everybody is he is genuine, she is nice, she cares, and she works. He works. He's coming in and going to go above and beyond to help us out. Like, why did they go out of their way to help me? You know, I'll say this. I had somebody very valuable to me me say this. You cannot have enough favors in the bank. Not that you expect a favor, but you can't have enough favors in the bank. Because eventually, when you need something, you better have put in a whole body of work with somebody else that they are, it's hard for them to say no because they want to help you. Not because it's an IOU, but because you've put in so much value that by the when the time you need help, because eventually you're going to need some help. You're going to ask for something. You're going to need something. They'll be more than willing to go above and beyond for you. Yeah, I think that's something that strength coaches need, something they need to input within their own self, not just into the system, you know, not just to school. I mean, when I've been at two different schools in the high school setting, and there were two different cultures. I mean, what motivated one school is not going to motivate the other one. So, yes, you got to be like a thermostat, a thermometer, right? You got to test out those waters. You got to test out what things are going on there. Um, but I did want to ask you this. Let's say new coach, right, walked into a building full of unmotivated athletes, right? They don't want to train. They just want to play their sport and go home. What would your steps into creating a better culture for that school be? Well, the first step is that somebody doesn't value training, and it ain't the kids. It's the it's the coaches and the administrators. Meeting with meeting with administration, meeting with head coaches. Okay, why are, you hired me? You hired me, so that means something. You're putting money where your mouth is. If the agreement of me coming here is to take on the weight room, I need support. If you're really good, those conversations are are happening before you ever even sign a contract. Like, don't don't even put pen to paper if those things don't fit. Don't take that job. It's not smart. Now, if, you, if, you're de- if you're desperate for that first full-time job and you just want to eat it, fine, whatever. Just understand what you're getting into. But that's I, I don't, the kid, it ain't the, it ain't never the kid's fault. It's not. It's either administration, coaches, parents, period. Setting the environment for what it means. If the administration and the coaches value it, they will push that message. Because at the end of the day, the kids want to play. And if something is in their way from playing, they're, they're going to do it <laughs> if they really care that much about playing. And if the, if the head coach values hard work, accountability, and showing up to training because that's what we do, and you're not going to play here if you completely go away from that and you uphold that, training will become a priority. On the flip side, when they come to you and, all right, workouts are a thing now, got to come to workouts, are you enjoyable? Is your environment something they like to come and do? They like to be around you. Right. Is it something I'm not saying be their friend, but is it like you wanted these kids to walk out of here of the weight room and be like, man, that was hard. But man, that was fun. 
Like, dude, we're, this is this is bigger than me. Like, I love being in here. I love being in this environment. The same reason why kids that aren't very good at football come out for the football program and they feel so proud to wear that jersey on Friday night, even though they don't play because they're a part of the football team. I'm a football player. I'm a football player. I'm on the football team, especially a winning one. Is your strength and conditioning environment attractive? Are you attract? Do they want to come hang out with you? Do they like being around you? Do you have an energy that is attractive and you have a really good balance of understanding when to push and when not to? And at the end of the day, they understand that there's a job to be done. There's a standard to be set. There's a high level of work that has to be done in order to be here. But at the same time, coach cares. Coach has given me a lot more positive than negative. It's not just about beating kids down. And when you do that, they understand that this is something that makes them better. They might not always want to do it because they're kids and it's hard. They're not always going to want to do it. They're not going to be consistent all the time. You're going to have some moments where things are, are tough and they, they may skip reps here and there, but is that in the minority? Cause you can fix those things. And if they're not happening, you have to reflect on where is the disconnect? Where's the weak link? Is it with the head coach? Is it with me? Is it with the administration? Is it with my ability to run an environment and run a room? Like, can you, can you troubleshoot really well? I think the best coaches in the world are excellent troubleshooters and they find the problem immediately. They can literally follow their troubleshooting, their internal troubleshooting and pinpoint the actual truth of what's why that's not following through. Like, like an energy leak, right? If something's not happening, if something's not working, right? I can use the example in a, in a spreadsheet. You know, I've got like millions of formulas running at once. If something's not working. I know how to reverse engineer and find it, right? Can you reverse engineer your program and your floor and try to find the problem? And sometimes that problem's not always solvable. You got kids with issues going on at home. You got things you might not know, right? There's a concept called the black swan that was uh, coined by Chris Voss, who wrote the book, Never Split the Difference, negotiation book, talking about there's a piece of information that changes everything in a conversation that you didn't know context like oh golly if i would have just known that that's the black swan you have to try to find the black swan because often there's information you don't know about and that's the hard thing with coaches too or with people in general is that people are the main character in their story and don't realize that you're just a bystander in somebody else's story like they don't really you're not the main character in their story so you got to figure out what's going on in the main storyline because your storyline is not even in the movie (laughs) to them you know what i'm saying so that's I'm, I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but that's that's what when it comes when it comes to that, that's what that's how I would approach it. No, that makes sense. I mean, time, time again, especially where I'm at, the last two schools have been that have been title one schools. Right. Families are at the poverty line or they're a little bit below the poverty line. And like you said, I mean, got troubleshoot. Some of these kids walk in. They're unmotivated from the get go that they walk in our building. I mean. From home, they're getting yelled at. From the schools, you know, from administration, teachers. Now, I've been a teacher too. I mean, they're getting yelled at. And then they come to football or they come to volleyball, whatever, whatever sport they play, and they're probably going to get yelled at. I mean, there's, when we talk about culture, I mean, is that a culture that someone can succeed in? I mean, some people, yeah. There's some people that you can sit there, scream in their face, and They'll have this "I'll prove to you" mentality, right? They'll they'll go out and bust out how much, however much weight. I mean, I mean there's some athletes as well that will shut down like that. 
you yell at them for an extended period of time, I mean, they will shut down. And they won't do anything. I mean, how would you approach those type of athletes, Cody? Because, I mean, like, from one extremity to the other, from getting the kid's face, getting ready to face to the other kid where you do the same thing and they could totally shut down. Cause that's, that's a culture sort of thing. That's coaching. That's coaching in a nutshell, man. Cause every kid's different. Every kid's going to respond differently to different things. And if you think that athletes are just going to conform to your way of coaching, you have a really tough go about it. And I think you're going to be lying to yourself whenever your kids are simply just obedient and compliant and you're going to call them disciplined because they're just scared of you. Like you're not actually creating behavior change. You're creating just compliance based out of fear. So the coaches that just use fear all the time and yell and scream, and then all of a sudden the kid gets in line, you know, behind your back, they don't care. Like, do you think they're going to take that with them the rest of their life? More than likely not, in my opinion. Now, does that mean that some kids need a kick in the tail? Yeah, absolutely. They do. Um, you got to get them to rise to the occasion. And every, like you said, on that spectrum, from the kid that gets fired up whenever somebody gets in their tail versus the one that just shuts down completely, you got to take a different angle. If you can't change, change your environment, period. If you can't change something, change you. That's, that's a great piece of advice. If you can't change it, change your environment, change you, figure it out, have a conversation with them, commit to conversations connect find those black swans talk about them see what's going on hey do you understand what we're doing is good for you yes sir yes then what's going on man like what are we scared of like how can i help you like if i can't put you in the position how can i help you more put it on you right another strategy i like to use is like man you're so much better than that your potential is higher than that you're living so below your potential because you've got so much of it man and it's just like, dang, like I, coach sees something in me that I don't even see in me. Belief, hope. Can you instill belief and hope in these kids and then do it for a long time, not for two weeks, not for two sessions. Can you do it for three years? Can you commit to that? Because you might not see that fruit till later. You, it, might be grow, it might be like bamboo where you got to water it for five years and then in 90 days, all of a sudden you see the fruit. It happens so fast and you never know. Like you have to have a mindset as a coach that I'm planting seeds and I'm watering regardless of the fruit that comes right now, because that's, that's not what's happening. I really had to learn that the hard way, man. Cause like at the college level, I wanted it instant, man. I'm saying this, why aren't you getting it? I've been around this guy for three weeks. They don't even know me. They don't trust me. My title does not mean trust. That, that doesn't mean my letters behind my name does not mean trust. Just cause whoever has a CSCS doesn't mean that they should trust you. No. You are a person. You are a human. You're not a letter. You're not a title. So can you commit to that? And I've been here and I've been able to actually see the maturation process from a 14-year-old to a 19-year-old in the same setting. And I've actually finally got a grasp on this school. If I ever leave and go to another school or another environment, I'm starting over. But I have this experience to draw on and I can commit to actually figuring that out instead of getting frustrated. Like I understand that process now. I can understand that a 15-year-old's brain is not going to function right. <laughs> They're going to mess up. They're going to turn into a 17 and a half year old and things are going to start clicking. But you've been pouring into them this whole time. It's going to click even more because you've committed to it. And that message is finally going to get through. Just like the other day, man, like one of my first classes that I had through here, they're a freshman in college right now and had a kid that he cared about football his whole life. He was really good as a freshman, had a lot of upside, thought he was going to be a D1 guy and just kind of never blossomed. 
you know, it's kind of stayed the same. He was a four-year starter, but ended up signing FCS and he went there for a year and he decided to hang it up. Like after one year, he made football his life for four years, went to college and was like, man, I'm just sick of it. And he called me last week and was like, coach, I just wanted to call you because I wanted to respect you out of so much you helped me. I've decided to hang the cleats up. I'm going to try to pursue vet school. I don't think I can handle both. And um, everything you said to me just stuck with me. And I'm going to pursue vet school as hard as we've, we trained all those times. And I just wanted to say thank you. Well, those first three years that I had him in high school, I would have never thought that he thought that. I didn't know those things were going to come to fruition. Well, now I do. And that just comes with time. So when it comes to those kids, man, get it, figure them out and commit. Like commit to them and keep coming. Keep coming. Volume wins, man. Like I'm saying it all the time, like repetition and volume will end up winning out in the end. The people that have done it more and spent more hours and, and doing more things and are going to have better skills and have more experience. That's why experience is so valued, you know, now at the same time, you could say, have you have 20 years experience or do you have one year of experience 20 times over? That's to the, that's to the individual. I hope all of you guys are growing every single year and can look back four or five years behind and go, Ooh, glad I, glad I grew from that. I wasn't very good. So that's how I do it. Uh, a couple of things from that. One, when you're talking about, you know, uh, figuring out kids and staying with them. And I think that's huge when we talk about like middle school development and into even sometimes the, the high school freshmen, because oftentimes we know that high school freshmen, even middle school boys, girls, I mean, they're hitting a very awkward part of their life. Yeah. They're not going to be that D one five-star athlete right now that, I mean, they look like they, they look like Bambi out there, right? They're, they're not coordinated. They're not athletic. You may have a few outliers here and there, but that's, that's a huge part because I think a lot of people, you know, and I was guilty of this too when I coached football, right? We're starting with the varsity guys. Well, we'll develop the freshman later, and that later never came. So, you know, they're juniors, and they, they're still on athletic. They're still trying to catch up. So, I mean, telling them myself, but um, sure. I mean, that's – that, that, that was a reality of things. You know, being the varsity football coach wasn't part of the weight room until 2020. And, I mean, we looked at varsity guys said, all right, well, we got freshmen coming up. We got sophomores coming up. And then, I mean, they weren't developed. So, you know, it's funny. I had to learn that lesson early. Um, when I was a GA at West Alabama, my biggest mentor, Joseph Boyd, uh, nobody really knows who he is because he's not on social, but he's one of the best coaches I've ever met, one of the best men I've ever met. But he – uh he told me, he said, man, when you first take a job, you need to focus on your sophomores. That should be your main energy focus because, like, you're going to get what you can out of your juniors. You're going to get a little bit out of, the, out of the seniors. But, like, your true program is going to be built off your sophomores. And when he told me that coming into this job, it helped me tremendously because I actually listened to him. And I was like, okay. I didn't really want to, though, because, you know, like, I was like, man, we got to win now, blah, 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 whatever we want to do. But – pouring into the sophomores and then seeing that sophomore class when I got here, right? That's the class that went to the semifinals and was up 10 points with seven minutes left to a chance to go to state championship. We blew it, but that was an unbelievable class. Like I could see that. I could see the growth. And then now it's just kind of like I've been pouring into those sophomores every year. So now every class that's here with us has been poured into since sophomores. But now it's turned into a well of machine. And that's a great focus. I think you you brought up a great point. Any coaches that take a new job, you better not neglect those young guys. It starts there. Because, like, if you can raise the ceiling of where the next class starts, 
You want your sophomores to be better than where your juniors are. You want your freshmen to be better than where your sophomores were the year before. And that way, all the expectations move with it. Yeah, that's what I'm figuring out kind of right now, too, because right now I'm in the school that I'm at, and, I mean, some of our seniors, God bless them, but, I mean, they just want to play ball get out. That That's what they want to do. Some of our juniors, I think half of them are kind of in line with what we're doing, and half of them are like, this the senior class. I, I just want to play ball and I want to get out. So, okay. No, that's fine. Our sophomore class has really stepped up in that aspect to where they're like, I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of going 0-10, 2-8, whatever. So I want to win. And they're the ones busting their tails. You know, their numbers are going up pretty exponentially. And those are the guys I, I'm probably going to ride with, you know, going the next season and, you know, going to their senior year. So, uh, yeah. All right, so next segment here, Twitter Q&A. So we only had that one question about, uh, I think it was from Joe saying, um, are you a real coach even if uh, you don't live it lift? <laughs> Dang it, Joe. I'm going to kick your tail for saying that. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll expand on that a little bit. So I want to make sure I, I clarify everything. So. Yes, I consider myself a coach without doing Olympic lifts, 100%. I think I'm a much better coach because of it. Um, but I want you guys to understand, like, I committed to – I was a big Olympic lift guy. I trained under the guy I just mentioned, Joseph Boyd, and he was almost purely Olympic lifting style at the college level. Saw results, okay? And we had done the clean for three straight years. We emphasized it. We taught it. We had decent numbers. Like, but it's just something that was just like, man, I just – I don't know. Like – there's something about it that just didn't click with me. And as soon as I got my hand on a velocity sensor uh, to get on some VBT and saw the difference in power output and less skill requirement for a trap bar jump and then being able to allocate time from cleans and do more sprinting in our setting, and I saw our numbers go up higher than we were doing cleans, I mean, that, that was it. That was the draw. And I'm not saying you can't get results using Olympic lifts. That's fine. But if you look in the high school setting specifically, and you watch 80% of kids do cleans. They're using a weight that's too light to create power, a weight that's too light to create strength, right? And then it's, it's too heavy to really be, to be speedy because the, the actual concept of the clean, you're not moving it real fast because now you got to catch it. It's not, it's not ballistic, you know? Like you have to move the bar and then you got you to stop it because you got to catch it on your shoulders, and then the complexity of actually executing the skill, right? Being able to extend your hips before your knees, right? Being able to catch it in a bilateral stance, being able to get to ranges of motion in a front rack position that has absolutely no carryover to sport. Like a, a front rack position at a barbell has nothing to do with sport. Like there ain't nothing about it that helps sport, period. I don't care what you say about lat mobility, shoulder mobility. There's 500 million ways to do that. A lot easier than worried about a front rack position when most kids hate it. That's just me. Right? That's just my opinion. So instead of spending all this time and worrying about that and trying to evaluate with it on a one rep max, even like it just doesn't make sense. Cause if you actually understand what power is, right. Do you understand the definition of power? Power is work divided by time, right? Force times displacement divided by time. Okay. How much force are you creating with a clean at a high school level? Dependent on a skill that doesn't translate to the field. 
And then, yes, the time component's there, but why can't we get it on one leg in a sprint where you have way less time and way higher force and, and angles that you're actually going to use a lot more? You know what I'm saying? You want to build your legs, you'll squat. You want to build your posterior chain, you need to hinge. You want to push and pull to be able to create your upper body strength and musculature, sure. But when it comes to power, I don't think the clean is very applicable for team, field, and court sports at the high school level. Let me make sure I'm clear. That's it. That's just my opinion. You can burn me at the cross if you want. I got the evidence. I keep the receipts. I watched your um, YouTube video over it too before this because I never understood. Well, I never understood. Well, I never heard that side of the story. I mean, I, I know you mentioned it. I know you mentioned it on Twitter, and I think you kind of briefly mentioned it while I was at Mass Academy, but I want to know it for myself. So I watched that YouTube video that is on your channel, and it's like, okay, that makes sense. You know, am I still going Olympic lift? Maybe, maybe not. Sure. You know, that's up to my discretion about what I want to do for my program. But, I mean, with you and yours, I mean, that makes total sense. I'm yeah, not, and I'm not going to hate on anybody that uses it, man. I'm not. Like, I like to joke. I like to banter. I like to create, I like to defend my stance, but I'm not going to look at any coach and go, you use cleans, your program's lesser than mine. That is ridiculous. I would never do that. Like, because I know some coaches that can coach to crap. Like, one I want to talk about is NHSSEA now Hall of Famer, Coach Reb Rock. Coach Reb, Reb Brock. That's in Texas, I believe. Dude is a legend. You want to talk, watch his guys clean, man. They're really good. Like, he's really good. And you can't tell me that Joker's not getting results, man. He's a great human. Like Reb is a master at that. And I tip my cap and I would never talk down on a program that's trying to use cleans. Now, if I see some really bad cleans, am I going to acknowledge? Yeah. I don't know how, how much time we're really spending on that, you know, or how great that is. Or if I see some things out there like single leg cleans, which I think are, well, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get off on that tangent. I'm, I'm going to be the better person here. I've, I've grown over the years, uh, but man, do your thing. Just make sure you got receipts. Make sure you've got, evidence that you're good simple you can talk about it all you want just like in the beginning of the podcast you were all like you know he's a twitter famous coach i'm like man yes i'm a twitter coach but i'm my boots are on the floor every day and i'm working my tail off like i i am coaching i am on the floor i am skinning the game i am getting after it and i also share on twitter that doesn't that's not exclusive i want people to know that are there people and influencers on social media that paint a picture that they're not actually doing a hundred percent. Are there also coaches that are on the boots getting great results and don't share a thing on social media? hundred percent. Right. And there's also some of us that are doing both. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, last segment here. So coaches spotlight. So highlight coach that has done really, really well. It's making an impact in our field right now, man. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a shout him out. Cause he, and everybody probably knows him at this point, but Brandon pig, um, he really kind of hit himself on the map when he came an intern for me. Um, you want to talk about somebody who absolutely displayed the perfect way to be an intern? It's him. He came in immediately, added extreme value to doing very small details, taking trash out, getting iPads out, making things are charged, uh, putting out papers, not complaining, being on time, driving over an hour to get here on time, and going above and beyond to do things to add value and earn more responsibility. And then ad, when, when the time was come to ask a question and contribute, he was ready. And now he's overdoing his own thing at Priceville High School. Hopefully he gets even a better job than that. Dude deserves it. Um, he's a really good friend of mine now. And I am happy that he actually got to come through Madison Academy to kind of get his career started in strength and performance and athletic performance. And I'm just 
I can't say enough just how proud I am of that dude because he is extremely smart. He's way smarter than me. Like, I will 100% say like, he is one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. He challenged my thought process. He made this program better. He made me a better coach. He made my mind better. He he changed my whole idea on, on tendon uh, responses and isometric training and things that are really good for athletic performance and jumping and knee health and all the things that go with it. He has a much more vast mind when it comes to sprinting and really made my training and my program better in that way. And he he's really doing it the right way. So if you guys don't follow him, Brandon Pig with two G's, he's all over Twitter. His, his Instagram is nothing but his chicken. So like, if you follow him on Instagram, he ain't going to do nothing on that. But he's also starting to really pick up his TikTok. And he's pretty daggum funny. Like, dude's witty. Like, he'll, he'll throw out some one-liners that will have you rolling. So follow him on Twitter, follow him on TikTok. And if you like, you know, his egg hustle, you can follow him on Instagram as well. Yeah, man. Brandon Bay, he's a he's a he's a he's a definition of what a young successful coach is. Cause when you talk about him being very, very intelligent, I mean that that's something that blew me away when I met him at NatCon last year. Cause he sat there and talked about ice mess training, talked about tendon health, talked about whatever. And he'll bust out like a notepad, and I've said this probably about four or five times on this podcast. But when I was talking about it, he pulled out his notepad and pull up a piece of paper and just start talking about like isometric training stresses and everything like that and i was i sat there lost i'm like this dude's way this dude way <laughs> I had more the same response dude i had the same response it's kind of like that it's kind of like that deer in the headlights because i was sitting there like i understand i'm trying to understand what you're saying but uh yeah he, he's way more intelligent than sure than, uh, than me and the majority of people on that on that sort of thing so cool uh, so Cody, thank you again for being on. Thank you for, you know, uh, bringing insight to culture and what you're doing at Mass Academy and the dad track and, and again, being able to connect with you, um, yeah. again. So I appreciate you being on, man. Yeah. I wanted you to know too, like anybody hears this and they want to reach out and ask more questions. Maybe anything I talked about, DM me on Twitter, send me an email, go to my website, clhstrength.com. I got a lot of resources trying to build that up to the point to where, I'm trying to help coaches, man. That's what I want. That's what I do. That's why I'm on social media, just to educate, add tools, so a lot more coaches can develop at a higher level and quicker, and learn lessons that I learned the hard way, so you can learn it the easy way. And, um, if you have any other questions, training topics, anything you want to talk to me, feel free to hit me up. I did want to talk about one thing, just to make sure, or I want to know for myself, and maybe someone else is out there curious. Your your mentorship. Yeah. That you got. Oh, did you on. see that? I did. <laughs> I did. I was. I wanted to ask you about it because I don't know if uh, I didn't know much about it. You know, um, I just saw it on your website, and I yeah. I, I figured to uh, ask about it. So, my mentorship's coming up. It's going to be my flagship product. I decided to stop doing a lot of things and and actually be able to deep deep dive with coaches and be actually have them come on for a nine week journey. Right, join me for nine weeks. I'm going to teach you everything I know everything I got. I'm going to go deep dive, high level stuff. The whole point of the mentorship is to increase your programming capabilities, your data management and coaching. Like you need to learn how to coach, you need to program better, you need to be able to manage data and hopefully you can increase your value through it. That's what it's going to be. It's still in process under construction. I plan on releasing my wait list for it soon so you can get on the list and be notified first. Um, it's going to be in a cohort basis now. Like I'm not going to take on more than 15 coaches. That's where I'm at. First, first 15, first come, first serve hopefully to do four cohorts a year. And that's all I'm going to do. I want to deep dive with individuals. If you don't get in on the first class, try to get in on the next one. If you're on the wait list, you'll be notified in advance other than the public. It's not ready yet. 
I want to release it when it's ready. But instead of putting all of my efforts in little things, I'm ready to just channel it in so I can help coaches deep dive on the things that will make them better rather than spending the years of trying to figure it out themselves. Maybe I can help them figure it out through my mentorship. So yes, it's on the website. Go to clhstrength.com forward slash mentorship. You'll see the landing page. You'll kind of see the, the placeholders. It's still under construction, but don't worry. As soon as I get ready to launch it, you'll know. Awesome, man. And that's another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Please follow our social media platforms at Conjugate Chat Podcast on Twitter and TikTok. Also follow Cody on his socials as well. My name is Strength. Stay strong and have a good day.